0: Lorraine, we are doing an episode all about the menopause. Yes, an absolutely serious one. But you know what? Every time I say anything like, oh, I'm a bit warm or I didn't sleep or mm. any of that, my teenage children have my daughter's start to make fun of me around the oh. menopause. They say menopause, menopause. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <that Do> mean?
1: <laughs> bucket, Bucket loads of empathy then
0: coming Listen, out of those teenagers. They're talking about it. Yeah, do you know you're what? Right. And I, you know, it's not mentioned in every household. So at least they're saying menopause, menopause as I go about my day, getting angry with everything. Hello, hello. I'm Trish Halpin, and I'm Lorraine Candy, and welcome to this special episode of Postcards from Midlife, brought to you in association with Avon. Regular listeners will know Trish and I have been banging the drum for a rather long time to get the menopause talked about and to ensure that every woman knows what to expect when her perimenopause hits because we don't want any of you to feel like you're going mad or losing the plot, which is how we both felt. So, enter Avon Adapt, a brand new bespoke skincare system developed to support women going through the tricky, hormonal effects of perimenopause and menopause.
1: Yes, as journalists and former editors of glossy women's magazines, including Elle, Red, Marie Claire and Sunday Times Style, you might have expected that Lorraine and I might know a thing or two about this life stage. But as with so many women, when we started experiencing symptoms in our 40s, such as anxiety, panic attacks, brain fog, tinnitus aching joints we just didn't join the dots or make the connection with menopause and we simply didn't have the right information but when the penny finally dropped we decided to start this podcast and have talked to many many fantastic women from celebrities writers and health and well-being experts who have
0: shared their amazing knowledge and expertise on the subject yes thankfully the tide is slowly starting to turn but there are so many parts of society that need to wake up to the fact that menopause should be talked about openly whether that's in in the media, our workplaces, or even our own homes. There is no reason at all why the word menopause should be whispered or why women should feel confused or ashamed to be going through it. So we're really pleased that some organizations are looking to support awareness in their HR policies and that women are starting to be heard. We love this post on our Facebook group from one of the members who says listening to postcards from midlife gave me the confidence to raise menopause at work and we're bringing in some support guidelines and training for managers and our wider organization I drafted the blurb to accompany this session and made sure to include the paragraph encouraging our men to attend as well I don't think I would have thought to raise these issues at work before the podcast and have been delighted by the positive response
1: oh that's just brilliant It's really good to hear. Yeah, exactly. And we're so pleased as well that certainly in the last year, we're seeing more forward thinking brands developing products that tackle the many physical and emotional side effects of menopause. For example, as a global brand with 5 million representatives worldwide, Avon has spoken to women from Russia to South Africa, India to Mexico, and of course, the UK for an important report they commissioned called Menopause T-L-I, Too Little Information the global conversation deficit and from the report it is very very clear that women everywhere are all encountering similar issues from lack of awareness symptoms to vastly varying levels of support from doctors and ultimately an overarching lack of information about what is a very normal and expected
0: part of a woman's life indeed it is we are a large proportion half Mm -hmm. of the population and it's really not rocket science is it this has been happening to women since the dawn of time and we're actually in the 21st century and we're still pretty much in the dark ages when it comes to talking about menopause and perimenopause which quite frankly I find ridiculous. Mm, Yes
1: I know but don't worry Lorraine because we are going to sort this out and today we are enlisting the help of Dr Sarah Jarvis, a GP and women's health specialist who's going to give us a menopause 101 and tell us how to get the best service from our GPs. And in how to win at midlife, we'll be tackling the impact of menopause on your skin with internationally renowned skin and beauty expert, Neelam Holmes. Both Neelam and Sarah have partnered with Avon to help women better understand this life stage. And Avon has a new range called Adapt, which is a line of skincare products with innovative ingredients chosen to be effective for menopausal skin, including adaptogens, which are though they're kind of derived from plant extracts
0: and they work by adapting their function to bring balance to the skin. We do get quite a lot of questions about skincare on our Facebook group. So we're going to be doing a Facebook live interview with Neelam on Friday, the 26th of February at 6pm on the Avon Facebook group page. We'll be posting a link to the event on our own postcards from midlife facebook group so you'll easily be able to find it there
1: to meet our special guest, Dr. Sarah Jarvis, MBE. Sarah trained at Cambridge and Oxford Universities and became a partner in an inner city general practice in 1990. She has had a lifelong interest in women's health, writing several books as well as founding the Women's Task Force at the Royal College of GPs. You will have no doubt seen Sarah on the TV or heard her on the radio as she is Radio 2's resident GP, as well as appearing regularly on Channel 5 and Good Morning Britain.
0: Welcome to Postcards from Midland life, Sarah. It's very good to be here. Thank you for having me. So I think the best place to start is to find out step by step exactly what happens to women during the menopause. So can we start with the kind of biology of it? So I guess that's sort of talking about our hormones and
2: also perimenopause, which is a phrase we didn't know before (laughs) we hit perimenopause. Well, do you know, we're off to a really good start because you've mentioned perimenopause. And I think this is probably the single dirty secret that women just, as you so rightly say, Lorraine, don't know about until they get there. So... What we know is most of us sort of take having regular periods for granted. But in fact, there's the most incredible combination of hormonal changes and these so-called feedback mechanisms that have to go on in order for those natural ebbs and flows that happen every 28 or 30 or 35 or however often days to happen. And if one of them goes wrong, then everything can get put out of sync. So as time goes on, as you get towards your perimenopause and that, actually the average time to reach that is your mid 40s, but it could be right at the beginning of your 40s or even earlier than that, then those levels start to fluctuate and particularly the levels of oestrogen. We think that oestrogen plays a key part in the classic menopausal symptoms, but of course there are lots of other hormones that are involved. There's FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, which is the hormone that stimulates your body, your ovaries to produce an egg every time. Then there's LH, there's luteinizing hormone, which tends to happen in the second half of the cycle, because that's what makes you make that so-called corpus luteum, which is the bit in the ovary that supports the baby in the early stages. And then there's progesterone, and it's a complex interplay between oestrogen and progesterone. So what's happening in the perimenopause is that you haven't reached the low levels of oestrogen that you tend to get after the menopause, but those levels are fluctuating. And the worst menopausal symptoms tend to be during the time that those hormones are fluctuating. The perimenopause usually lasts somewhere between three and five years, but it's often closer to five years than three. And given that the average age of menopause, very specific, is 51 and a half. and an early menopause is 40 to 45, premature menopause is under 40. But that means if the average age is 51 and a half, and most women will have symptoms from, say, five years before, Most women are going to be getting some perimenopausal symptoms from their mid-40s, and lots of them will be getting them from their early 40s. Now, interestingly, of course, another complicated or more complicated than you might think point is what is the menopause? Because technically, your menopause is the day you reach your last period. The problem is that you don't know you've had your last period until it's at least a year, if you're over 50 or two years, if you're under 50 after your last period, but you don't know until then but the perimenopause is the process that sort of leads up to it as that your body starts to go through that whole change. And lots of women do start to experience initial symptoms. They may not be menopausal yet, and they may still be having periods, which is what really confuses lots of women, but their periods are often starting to become erratic and they can start to get those menopausal symptoms. So
1: that's five years effectively that women can be experiencing symptoms and it can go on obviously beyond that as well, uh, beyond menopause. Now, we know that there are probably more than 30 symptoms ranging from physical to mental to emotional you know women are generally probably looking out for hot flushes but it can be anything from aching joints brain fog tinnitus anxiety and we don't often join the dots do we because we we don't know to expect it so we might not understand that these are all building towards this event through our
2: perimenopause but how do you advise women to keep track of symptoms because it can be quite confusing it can be very confusing and of course, although an awful lot of women get them, I mean, between three and seven women get hot flushes in the early menopause, and probably at least eight in 10 women get hot flushes at some point, it can be difficult, especially if you're having periods still, to know what's going on. Now, interestingly, how long those flushes will last, on the whole, the longer the time between getting those hot flushes and your last period happening, the longer they are likely to last. I, when I was a medical student, was told to tell women that their hot flushes would last a couple of years. Now, actually, the average, in fact, we now know is about seven years. So these regulations and these suggestions were clearly designed by men. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not unusual for women to have hot flushes and so on for uh, a decade or more. Now, of course, they also increase the chance of sleep disturbance. But of course, a lot of women will find their sleep patterns are changing anyway in their 40s, and they haven't even started developing hot flushes yet. So you've mentioned the classic ones. I think the ones everybody knows about the hot flushes, the vaginal dryness the night sweats but you also mentioned some of the ones which are really important and that i think women don't necessarily recognize so the ones i tend to think about a lot of them relate to mood and this i think is why so many women have ended up inappropriately mm. on antidepressants when in fact what they should probably have been looking at with their doctor was hrt instead both Those trish and i were mm-hmm. recommending that's yeah, very interesting yeah. well we've moved a long way away from that and the good news is that the nice guidance which came out about six years ago now actually has been very specific saying that. So mood changes, irritability, anxiety, low mood, palpitations, problems concentrating, am I losing my memory? Tiredness, really, really common one. I just haven't got the get up and go that I used to. But also, as you so rightly say, joint pains, loss of libido, I and mean, your mm. libido can fall off a cliff. Um, but interestingly, skin is one that I think women very, very often forget. So, you know, we know that our skin is really sensitive to hormones anyone who's been a teenager and had acne has knows that teenage acne is largely down to your sebaceous glands it's that glorious horrible word sebum i just think it sounds yeah. such a revolting <laughs> word at that oily stuff that your glands produce but your estrogen also affects your sebum and it affects your collagen and of course anybody who's been taken mm-hmm. in and even i can't help looking at those adverts and say oh the collagen in these creams will keep your skin supple and you can lose up to 30% of your collagen in the first five years of the perimenopause. And those fluctuating levels of estrogen can lead to dry skin, sensitive skin, return of your teenage spots you need to keep a list of all these symptoms
0: don't you I mean we get quite a lot of women contacting us on our Facebook group and our Instagram asking about various like dizziness and all, all sorts of things so how do you ask for the first time as a woman going to your GP in your 40s with what you think may be
2: perimenopause well of course knowledge is power and that's really really important so if you know what the symptoms can be. So, podcasts like this are hugely useful because they can let women know it's not just me. Actually, it could be the perimenopause. So, do go to really reliable sites. So, I'm the clinical director of patient.info. All our, our articles are written by doctors, peer reviewed. We take people who've got a real interest. Do doctors not find it a bit annoying when people come in with a list of, I've Googled it? Is that yeah. not the doctor's worst nightmare? Someone saying, I've Googled my symptoms and. <laughs> yeah, really good point. So, that's why. I said reliable information so in fact for instance patient.info is more recommended by any other GP right than any other website because it's all written by GPs, for GPs so and patients. And, of course, we choose the GPs who have got an interest in women's health Brilliant. or who that's have had time to go through all the details. So, yes, you're absolutely right. If you're going to go to the NHS website, it's much briefer. It doesn't provide nearly as much information, doesn't go into it in the same depth, but, of course, is entirely reliable. By the same token, we do accept that we don't have time to keep absolutely up to date on absolutely Everything. So, if somebody's come in and is prepared to have a grown up conversation about it, I am more than happy to say, if it's an area that I don't know that much about. And, you know, there I'll put my hand up and say, yeah, don't come in to me about your shoulder pain or your joints because I'm not a musculoskeletal expert. But but what I'll say is, look, I don't know the answer, but I know a man who does or a woman who does. And I'm happy to go away and look into it. And I think that's a grown up conversation. Mm -hmm. But don't go in with a sort of set agenda thinking, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get my way. One of our members of our Facebook
1: group has an experience where they go into a GP and the GP says, quote, I refuse to pump you full of HRT and then get offered yeah. antidepressants because this is still happening, Sarah, everywhere. I, we
0: get, I would say every day somebody yeah. says my
2: GP has offered me antidepressants and won't give me HRT. Well, in which case, you know, read up on the NICE guidance beforehand, frankly, because I do understand that GPs are concerned about HRT. We've had stories coming out for 20 years. And of course, the vast majority of them relate to breast cancer. So Mm. in 2003, there was a large UK study which suggested HRT was linked to an increased risk of developing breast cancer and dying of breast cancer, particularly if you're taking combined HRT. And of course, unless you've had a hysterectomy, you need combined bind HRT Mm -hmm. so then we got some later studies but they kind of weren't nearly so headline grabbing and that the problem is that there was a fundamental difference I think that was what's called an observational study so Mm -hmm. it wasn't a quote randomized control trial and a randomized control trial is the gold standard because it takes two groups of women it matches them for age for smoking for alcohol that study also was done on much older women wasn't it and that was the women's health initiative study I'm really glad you brought that up actually because in fact the WH study came out just before it was largely american these women were very high risk for cardiovascular disease because they Uh, were taking totally different non prescribed they were taking absolutely right they were taking a very old-fashioned form of HRT. And they tended to start at the average age of starting, it was about 60 when they'd been completely yeah. basically HRT free and had had low levels of oestrogen for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then they pumped full of huge doses of oestrogen. Um, so yes, it's not remotely surprising. So that was the one that caused the concern about stroke and heart attack. In fact, we now know that if you start HRT round about the time of the menopause, not only is there no increased risk of heart attack or stroke, but it might actually protect you against heart disease. Mm -hmm. And the 2003 survey, again, made headlines for lots of the wrong reasons, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So it was, again, as I say, it was an observational study, but, and I think this is really important Mm. that, you know, I very much pull back from that. A lot of my GP colleagues maybe have not kept up to date with what's gone on since then. There was a study called the DOPS study, the Danish osteoporosis prevention study, which looked at women who took HRT around the menopause and didn't find any increased risk, including any increased risk in breast cancer and actually found it was protective from a health perspective the nice guidance then came out in 2014 and they said hrt with estrogen alone for women who have had a hysterectomy there's little or no change in breast cancer hrt with estrogen may be associated with increased risk of breast cancer but it's related to how long you're on it i as I say, um, by comparison to most, because I have read all the studies, a much greater advocate than many GPs. But I think it would be unscientific of me not to mention the review that came out in August 2019. Now, that was a review of studies of randomized controlled trial studies. Admittedly, they can't, weren't directly comparable. So it's not quite as powerful as a single huge study. Yes, but it, it wasn't it a huge include... study. It was a review of all the studies that yeah. have been done, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. So as I say, it was a review of the randomized controlled trials, but they did include over 100,000 women so what they reckoned they found that there was an increased risk and for a woman who started HRT at 50 and took HRT for five years there'd be one extra case breast cancer for every 50 women who took the so-called continuous combined, which is the period free version, not the bleed free, but the period free one extra case for every 70 women taking the sequential combined, which is what we used to give all the time. And that's what we have to give if you've just gone through the menopause um, in the year or so afterwards, and you can then switch to a a period free version and one in 200 women who took estrogen only. So there was some increased risk of breast cancer that remained for about 10 years after stopping. Now, the risk of breast cancer is much lower if you start under 50. And in fact, anyone who goes through a premature menopause should take HRT until at least age 50 to protect their bones. So
0: you're saying if you start HRT in perimenopause, usually under 50, there's less of a risk. There is less
2: of a risk. of course, a lot of women risks. will have gone yeah. through menopause before yes, the age exactly. of 50. Yeah. So I recommend it actually for any woman who goes through the menopause before the age of 45. And I recommend yeah. that she takes it till the age mm. of 50. You know, anyone else, it's a matter of choice. And I think it's really beholden on us to explain that there is that risk. I was the women's health spokesperson for the Royal College of GPs back in 2002 when the Women's Health Initiative study came out, the American one you referred to. And then back in 2003, with the Million Women's study came out. And I was asked both times on television, so are you saying that we should take HRT off the market? And I said, don't ask me, ask the woman whose life's been transformed by it. Mm-hmm. Ask her. Yeah to weigh up the risks and the benefits. It's the relative risk as well, yeah, isn't it? Because it is. there
0: are many things we do, alcohol, et cetera, which
2: have yeah. a similar risk. Now, this new study yeah. has suggested that there may be an increased mm. risk of dying of breast cancer. And this is the problem. You know, mm. We don't know how big the risk is, even despite taking that study, the latest study. And I think we've got to take the latest study, because although it's a review of several studies, it is Information. a review of randomized yeah. yeah. controlled trials. Involving over 100,000 women, and we are never going to have a single study that involves that. Moving on to talk about HRT
1: then itself, Sarah, because there are different formats, different you yep. pres- prescribe it at different stages during the process, if someone's had a hysterectomy, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Can you just give us a very
2: brief sort of overview of the different options available? Mm. The old fashioned versions were synthetic, you know, they had a lot of side effects, and we very, very rarely use them anymore. And they were made from pregnant mare's urine. Nice. Uh, fun stuff. Fun stuff. <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, I don't think no. so. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned that the three basic types. So there's oestrogen mm-hmm. only, which you have if you've had a hysterectomy. There's continuous sequential. So you have 10 to 12 days of progesterone every month. Mm-hmm. And then you get a period. And that we need to give women, we are advised that, that women can only get the other kind if it's at least the year since the periods. Because if you take the so-called continuous combined, where you have a continuous dose of estrogen, but you also get a continuous low dose of progestogen, then you can get very, very erratic periods in the year or two after the menopause. But you can switch from one to the other afterwards. Now, a lot of people have heard a lot about so-called bioidentical hormones. Bioidentical hormones are so-called compounded. And the theory is that, you know, you have a sort of tailored, personalized version of HRT. Well, the problem with these is that we have not had the same level of testing. That has been done on them. And we do not have the same level of information about them. And there have been some concerns about them. They are not available on the NHS. They are not recommended by the British Menopause Society, but body identical ones are. Now, body identical HRT is something that I pretty much, I, I, I pretty much only recommend that. So it's got the same molecular structure as a woman's hormones. And I think it's the safest way. There are very different levels, for instance, of breast cancer. If you looked at a couple of studies, there was a French cohort study and a Finnish cohort study. And what it showed was that women who were taking so-called natural progesterone or didrogesterone um, had a much, much lower risk, even if they're taking combined HRT than women who were taking other forms of progestogen. So it does seem to be the progestogen that makes a big difference. So the kind of body identical HRTs I'm talking about are things like the Estradot patch, and I don't work for any of these people. Mm -hmm. So um, the Estradot patch, the Estrogel, uh, Sandrina gel, that's the Estrogens. And then the progestogens, there's Eutrogestone and you can either get that in uh, an oral form or you can get a, a vaginal form a lot of women i know who pay quite
0: a lot of money for the bioidentical mm. hormones say uh, my private doctor has has done a test and i've got an i'm i'm perimenopausal and i will always say you can't really test for that because you've got no base test from 30 years ago when you were kind of thing but the this is continually i mean i hear it a lot women say i've been tested uh, for where can or where can i get my blood test to find out if i'm perimenopausal so let's
2: absolutely clear that up you cannot okay. get a blood test for that can you so the answer is your hormone levels when you are perimenopausal by definition your levels are fluctuating dramatically so you yes. need kind of, you know, twice weekly tests for a month to get any real idea. (laughs) Um, When you are post-menopausal, then usually your FSH and your LH are through the roof and your estrogen is through the floor. But by that stage, your periods have stopped and you usually know about it. So over the age of 45, NICE does not recommend that women have blood tests to check for perimenopause or menopause. If, however, your periods stop, at the age of 40, or you start to get a lot of hot flushes and you're 40, that would be another matter because that might change what I would recommend. Um, But if you're over 45, or if you're still having fairly regular periods, it's not going to change my management. One of the things apparently I'm obsessed with, and I don't even realize I do it, but I've been a GP trainer for over 25 years. And it's very funny because when a new registrar comes in and my old registrars who are now my colleagues are working there and we're sitting having coffee and they'll say to her, okay, what you have to realize is Sarah's obsessed, her single most common phrases before you do an investigation think, is it going to help the patient? Is it going to help make an informed decision? And the answer for these blood tests on the whole is not. Mm
1: -hmm. And what about testosterone? Because that's an important part in the hormone equation during this period of our lives. It's not available on the NHS. Women with the funds to go privately can get a prescription of one that is titrated to women. Mm -hmm. What's going on there and, and, and
2: why can't we get it on the NHS? Okay, so we've already heard that we all produce testosterone and it contributes to libido, it contributes to sexual arousal, but it's also involved in sort of muscle and bone strength sometimes in mood sometimes in you know in in thinking and so on um if you think about muscle and bone strength think about men and why they're less prone to getting osteoporosis they take um, anabolic steroids but they also take you know testosterone to kind of help them build up muscles so we produce androgens including testosterone, in our ovaries, in our adrenal glands, and in our fat cells, which is why, for instance, women with polycystic ovary syndrome, who tend are more likely to be overweight, are often quite high in levels of androgen. But basically, estrogen and progesterone tends to drop quite markedly around your menopause. But actually, testosterone can often Gradually decrease with age. Um, and you may or may not notice any symptoms, often because it's kind of, you know, a more gradual decline. So if you, however, put somebody, for instance, do a hysterectomy, which we very rarely do these days, and take out the ovaries at the same time, then you know, if you've got an ovarian cyst or whatever else, you can get an abrupt drop in your testosterone. And when that happens, you can suddenly go, <laughs> my you know my libido has fallen off a cliff. It's neurological as well. Doesn't it help you think better testosterone is? It? Yeah. it can do. Yeah. For some women and again with all these things it's for some women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah interestingly the NICE guidance says testosterone can be considered if women are having problems with low sexual desire and you've worked out that it's not related to problems in their relationship or to, you know, maybe they're on HRT and so on. So I don't think all menopausal women need testosterone. Mm -hmm. The problem we've got is that there is no licensed alternative. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. So there's no testosterone product for female use, which is licensed in the UK, but... That doesn't mean I can't prescribe it. You can prescribe an unlicensed medication. The problem oh, we've got is that because it's unlicensed, then there are no set guidelines. Mm-hmm. And that the burden of proof, if there were to be a problem for yeah. me in terms of medical-legal issues, would be much, much higher if I was prescribing something that was off license.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. All right, yeah, okay. I As a result, GPs who often are not particularly expert because we have so many other things to keep up with in HRT are usually in fact almost always unwilling to prescribe Mm -hmm. it yeah that's understandable that's the issue
0: okay so if you do prescribe HRT so any form of hormone replacement therapy in the versions that you've described how long would it be for a woman to see some changes in her symptoms some improvement in her
2: I've had women who've come back in a week and said, "Yay, I feel so much better now. But um, it's probably more likely to be, you know, a couple of months. If you've been on HRT, I mean, I would normally say to women, if I'm putting them on HRT, we've discussed the risks, we've discussed the risk of breast cancer, we've they, they've accepted it, we've discussed the benefits, they know the benefits, they know they may not get all the benefits, they may not know they may not get it first time round, and we might need a bit of trial and error. But with all those provisos, if we've given it, and she's tried it for three months and she's not getting much in the way of benefit I would usually say can you give it a couple more months before we try again you might want to try after three months uh, but the problem we've got is that certainly in the first three months women are most likely to get side effects in the first three months and most likely to get longer term benefits they can kick in within a week they can take several weeks I would say the average my patients tell me is in the region of a month or two although vaginal dryness of course um, settles down much more quickly than that
1: now not every woman can take hrt there no. are certain issues aren't there if you have an estrogen
2: breast cancer what other reasons would a woman not be able to take hrt so the vast majorities of hrt are not absolutely contraindicated for really hardly anything actually mm-hmm. um, there are very 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 few reasons the woman absolutely can't take it but as you so rightly say for A lot of women who've had breast cancer, and particularly if it's an estrogen-positive, an ER ER-positive breast cancer, or endometrial cancer, which is also hormone-related, then we would be very, very wary. Um, Likewise, if you've got things that increase your risk of a clot on the lung, so if you've had a history of thromboembolic disorders, so if you've had a clot on the leg, you've had a clot on the lung, um, say you're being treated for cancer, which increases your chance of a clot on the lung anyway, uh, your doctor might be quite. Are quite wary about it. Porphyria, liver problems, uh, high levels of triglyceride, not a terribly common problem, but it it can happen. And really importantly, some bleeding issues. Mm -hmm. So for instance, a woman who's had endometriosis is not a reason for not giving it. But if they're still having problems, you might find that it makes the symptoms worse. If we've got undiagnosed bleeding, I would certainly not give it until we knew what was causing it. And what can you do if you can't take it? them well there are lots and lots of lifestyle things that people can do yeah and of course i get a lot of women coming in and say oh, i've tried everything well do you know what you kind of really probably haven't you just have given it a try it didn't work within you know a day or two or a couple of weeks so you got really fed up and you haven't kind of tried adding them all together so if we think about some of the things that women can do for instance your diet diet is hugely important here so Refined carbs. I know we hear a lot about carbs these days. and In fact, refined carbs are basically pure, white and deadly, is not a good idea whether they're starchy or sugary carbs, and you should be avoiding them wherever you possibly can for everything you know, in terms of loads of health reasons, type two diabetes, heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. But unrefined carbs are a different matter. And although, for instance, if you've got type two diabetes, you may find a very low carb diet where you even reduce your unrefined and completely cut out refined carbs is beneficial. For most women, actually, you're okay with unrefined carbs. And that's why they sort of What's roughage, unrefined carb? Roughage, you know, the stuff that keeps you <laughs> regular. So, you know, for instance, whole grain alternatives, Rather than white alternatives. Lots of beans, lots of pulses. You will find there are two things in life that, that I recommend for almost everything. One is fruit, vegetables, and unrefined, you know, beans and beans and lentils. And the other is cognitive behavioral therapy or talking therapy. I can recommend those for pretty much everything. Everything. Oh, that's good. Isn't it? That's a shortcut to everything. That's really like, good. Tell my husband that. <laughs> Limiting your alcohol intake is mm-hmm. really important. Although people think it helps them get sleep, it may help them get sleep, but it means your quality of sleep is poorer. You're more likely to wake up earlier, and if you're already having problems because you're getting night sweats or your sleep is disturbed it's because of your bad yeah. changes, then bad idea. Limit your caffeine intake. Never have more than four hundred milligrams of caffeine, and avoid it later in the day. Exercise mm. really important. So, of course, cardiovascular system, your risk increases after the menopause anyway. Osteoporosis, your risk increases after the menopause. hugely helpful for both of those, and pretty much any kind of aerobic exercise is great for both with the exception of swimming and cycling, which are not so good for your bones, but they're great for your heart. But it also increases your feel-good hormones, your endorphins, Mm -hmm. so that's important. And relaxation, stress reduction, exercises. Actually, there's some really good studies showing they can reduce hot flushes and tiredness. Sleeping, keep your bedroom cooler, get into a a routine. And then, oh, fight estrogens. So soy, legumes, pulses, really high, particularly soy, really, really high in natural estrogens, which don't appear to be linked to a higher risk of Mm. breast cancer. We actually have some questions from the
1: Avon community around specific
2: symptoms. The first question
1: says, I'm 55 and menopausal as an Avon rep. I need energy to do my rounds and pack my orders. But by 3 or 4pm, I'm so tired, I fall asleep. How do
2: I get more energy? So it's a really, really good question. The first thing I think is to look at your sleep patterns. Are you either not sleeping well, and not sleeping well could be you have problems getting off to sleep, you wake frequently, or you wake early? Or And this is something that a lot of people don't think about. Um, Could you have something like obstructive sleep apnea? Uh, And of course, obstructive sleep apnea, people wake up and they can wake up dozens of times an hour. I mean, sometimes hundreds of times an hour. You stop breathing briefly when your larynx goes floppy, your airway is obstructed, and then your brain goes, I've got no oxygen. Mm-hmm. And you jerk awake, and of course, it's often the partner who knows. So, if you're a snorer, um, get your partner to listen out for that. It's more likely if you drink alcohol. It's more likely if you're overweight. But that um, we use something called the Epstein sleepiness score, and you can look that up online actually and see if if this applies to you. And if it really does apply to you, then do think about um, going to see your GP because it's possible that it's obstructive sleep apnea if you're waking feeling unrefreshed. Mm-hmm. Of course depression mood changes can cause a lot of problems um, with feeling tired as well as disrupting your sleep but if those things are okay then look at your sleep your sleep patterns and then start thinking about your diet and lifestyle
1: and then one final question we've got is from another person from the avon community why do women experience weight gain during the this stage perimenopause menopause and what can we do how can we feel good about our ever-changing bodies
2: yeah it's a really really interesting one now weight gain is not inevitable unfortunately if you eat a lot of biscuits
0: Sarah (laughs) like me
2: (laughs) so um the point is that round about the menopause a lot of people say I was fine till I went through the menopause um and then I put on weight but I am living testament to the fact you do not have to put on weight but you cannot in many cases stop your shape changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so unfortunately, yeah. those hormones do tend to make you more prone to tummy weight. And the problem with that, that is almost certainly linked to the increased risk of heart disease, because we know that intra-abdominal fat, so that's the fat deep inside your tummy, especially if you're an apple rather than a pear, as opposed to subcutaneous fat, the inch you can pinch, if you can remember back to those adverts, mm-hmm. um, then that intra-abdominal abdominal fat is linked to heart disease. And unfortunately those hormonal changes can make you more prone to gaining intra-abdominal fat. And it can can lead to a shift um, in your fat storage. You also unfortunately find that your muscle mass tends to drop Mm -hmm. with age um, and your metabolic rate tends to reduce with age, which means that even if you don't eat any more and don't eat any biscuits, you may still find yourself Mm -hmm. putting on weight. So I think there are things that you can do. Um, Exercise, again, I'm afraid really, really important because over 50s, we don't just recommend that you try and aim towards half an hour, five times a week of aerobic exercise. We also recommend specific muscle strengthening exercises Mm -hmm. as well and weight bearing exercises. So that will build your muscles and that'll mm-hmm. also stand you in really good state in later life, reducing the risk of falls. Let's go back again to avoiding refined carbs. Mm-hmm. They give you a, a sh- spike of sugar. And that again takes us back to this idea of suddenly being exhausted. Slow burn carbs, protein, for instance, which keeps you full for longer, energy, which is released very slowly, you will not get that high, which is followed by a slump. So A, it'll help with your energy levels later in the day, and B, it can often help to reduce weight gain. But a largely plant-based diet do increase your calcium levels, limiting your alcohol. Alcohol's got lots of calories, gram for gram. Alcohol's got nearly as many calories as pure fat. Oh so, you know, do just just bear that in mind. So you might need to reduce your calorie in- intake overall, but if you mm-hmm. boost your Vegetable and possibly your unrefined carb intake, then actually you can feel like you're eating just as much.
1: Thank you so much. We know everything now, don't (laughs) we?
2: Absolute pleasure.
0: Here we are at How to Win at Midlife, and we're going to be sharing advice and tips from skincare expert, Neelam Holmes, who runs her own beauty salon. She is the founder of the Eyebrow Queen range of luxury eyebrow products and has also partnered with Avon, So here's a little rundown of what happens to our skin in midlife as we transition into the
1: menopause. Um, And as with pretty much everything, it all comes down to the drop in the levels of the estrogen hormone and then an imbalance with testosterone. And both of these hormones play a key role in our skin function. Estrogen stimulates the formation of skin, smoothing collagen and the oils that help our skin to retain moisture. So no surprise then that as estrogen production diminishes, it can lead to dry, itchy and sensitized skin all over the face. and body. And many women also end up suffering with menopausal acne, which is caused by that change in the balance between estrogen and testosterone
0: ah yes but there are some key things you should be doing with skincare as you get into midlife now according to Neelam you need to exfoliate regularly this is once or twice a week oh god I never exfoliate I must start doing it ASAP (laughs) Uh, when you do this you need an AHA or a BHA based product that'll be on the ingredients and that will help shed the dead skin and the dull skin which will help your other products to better absorb into your skin
1: and she also says that we should avoid anything harsh on our skin so that could be anything from a steaming hot bath um, really hot showers harsh scrubs and aggressive peels so anything drying and astringent that's not going to help out much either
0: well her third tip is around the loss of collagen well mine's all packed its bags <laughs> and uh, gone it's a big concern um, mm-hmm. and is a sort of dreaded, dreaded sagging thin face situation so we need to add retinol into our routine um, as it helps the collagen produce at a faster rate but we have to be careful not to overuse it or use it too fast introduce retinol gradually building up and it will give you the best results collagen stimulating treatments like radio frequency ultrasound microneedling and led will also help um you can also stimulate the collagen through your diet with healthy fats and bone broths if you're into that kind of thing bone broths bone broths yeah not not my thing being vegetarian
1: Terrible. but um, <laughs> it's very healthy you, very good for could you, you use dogs for that oh no <laughs> not, that the, naughty not the, bone the dog's been nurturing no <laughs> definitely not in terms of basic everyday skincare regime for women who want to be done and dusted in under 10 minutes like and you Lorraine like yeah. you Neelam says that in the morning you should cleanse or wash your face use a hydrating toner an eye cream a hyaluronic antioxidant serum oh, a well moisturizer <laughs> and an SPF now it sounds like quite a lot but I can probably all be done in a matter of like five to ten minutes but for evening apparently do the double face wash which a lot of beauty experts have told us about because you've accumulated so much kind of different pollution dirt etc in the day so you wash your face or cleanse your face twice then use an exfoliating
0: toner an eye cream a retinol serum and a moisturizer yeah she's also a fan of gentle massage so doing this with your products will help the circulation and blood flow um and give you a nice glowy complexion like yours trish little glowy face <laughs> looking <laughs> thank at me there you.
1: Look at thank it. you peeping across the screen you know, you know we always have that ongoing thing about whether to put moisturizer or spf well, i on forget first.
0: whatever anyone tells oh, me i okay. forget <laughs>
1: oh i was because i always think of you as saying that you put spf on i first, do so i do i do i get confused all right i go the other way and neelam is with me on that one because oh. she says that you should use your Moisturizer on first because it's got ingredients that need to absorb into the skin. And many SPFs actually have these kind of large particles yeah. that are oh, sit on the skin as a barrier and they would prevent the moisturizer working properly. So, as of tomorrow, you know what you're doing.
0: Yes, right. I'll, I might write it on my hand. Yes. <laughs> Well, now we all know that's very simple, easy to follow advice. I hope you found that uh, useful whistle-stop tour of midlife skincare. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be on the Avon Facebook page at 6 p.m. on Friday, the 26th of February with Neelam, and we will be talking about this in a lot more detail. And I think during that session, you will have the chance to ask specific questions. We will post a link on the postcards from Midlife Facebook group so you can find us easily.
1: (laughs) Right, I think we want a little skincare nostalgia noodle, don't we, Lorraine, at the end of all of that? I've kind of been thinking about, do you remember back in the day, before we had all these lovely advanced products, you'd do things like put cucumbers on your eyes thinking yeah. that they were going to magically get rid of your dark circles or, or tea bags that you'd have Just to squeeze well out the tea, For, bags. Those? The tea yeah. bags and then pop pop those on and if you hadn't quite squeezed it out properly it would sort of drip down onto your into your pillow or
0: your cushion or whatever the days before <laughs> we worried about wrinkles do you know what oh, i was Lord. remembering the other day is um before I knew what avocados and everything was Mm. I used to make um little face masks you remember these face masks you to make yourself after reading them in women's magazines which Mm -hmm. we one day hoped we would go on to edit and I remember thinking I must get some olive oil and use some olive Mm. oil because it was in all the ingredients and for Mm. ages I had no idea olive oil was actually used in cookery I thought it was just used (laughs) in making up face masks and things yeah. like that yes
1: well I think everything we ate in those days was kind of cooked in lard or something just my mum would not have <laughs> had olive
0: oil no in the house. thank god we went into the beauty industry oh, and god, got all yeah. that information and our skin has survived to tell the tale well, that brings us to the end of this special
1: episode of postcards from midlife brought to you in association with avon if you'd like to find out more don't forget we have the facebook live with Neelam Holmes, and you can find all the details of avon's new skincare line at www.avon.uk.com forward slash adapt goodbye goodbye